0: Almost every Sunday, I tell you that our purpose as a church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. We want to inspire people who don't know Christ to want to follow him. Uh, We want everyone who becomes engaged with Portland Community Church to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. What does it mean to be on mission With Jesus. I frequently say that it means to see yourself as a full time minister for Christ wherever you go with your family, uh, with your neighbors, work associates, uh, teammates, classmates, uh, whether you're a teenager, single, married, divorced, widowed, a parent, or an empty nester. You are a representative for Christ all through the week. Uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's alive. So you serve with a living Savior. If you're not a follower of Christ, you will learn today what it will look like for you to follow Jesus. Fortunately, there's a book in the New Testament that tells us how to be on mission with Jesus, uh, how to be full time ministers. For Christ. It's the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, it's the last letter the Apostle Paul wrote. Um, he wrote it to Timothy, his disciple. It's a very personal letter. Uh, he mentored him, and apparently, uh, Timothy is young and he's timid. Timothy's wondering, uh, can I do what the Apostle Paul did? Uh, maybe you're wondering, can I be on mission? With Jesus, uh, Paul is in prison in Rome. Nero is emperor of the Roman Empire. He hates Christians. And so Paul knows that he's a marked man. And so he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He knows he's going to die. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He's passing the baton to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you have to carry on for me. I know my time is short. Uh, Paul asked Timothy to uh, be the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. That's basically modern-day Turkey. It was the largest church in the world at the time. These are his final instructions to Timothy. ...on how to be on mission for Jesus. Of course, the book is not just for Timothy. God has reserved it in His Word for us. We're called to be on mission with Jesus. We're called to be full-time ministers for Christ everywhere we go. This letter can help you as it did Timothy. Today, I'm going to do a, a flyover of the entire book. Uh, I'll be sharing a lot of the verses... And the highlights of the book, and then in the weeks ahead, we'll go through it section by section. So what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? What do we have to focus on? I brought with me today a a container uh, that represents your life. It is finite. You can only do so much with your life. You only have 24 hours a day. The sand represents... All the things that go into your life. Uh, work, school, uh, some of the things, things you have to do, projects you have to complete, uh, assignments you have to turn in, meetings you have to attend. Some are things, are things that you want to do. You want to fill your life. Some of the things you do are probably things that aren't even good for you. Things you probably ought to stop doing. Now Paul says that, uh, and and when we think about how our lives, what we have into it, all of our lives get filled up. Doesn't matter who you are, your life is full. A study was done uh, with uh, researchers. These were uh, researchers that are sleep researchers, uh, vocational uh, coaches, financial planners. Uh, physical trainers, family therapists, asked how many hours does it take to do in your area just the minimum, not any extra. And they found out that it takes 36 hours a day. So obviously, none of us can do all the things we want to do. Every day we're managing and deciding what are we going to put off till tomorrow? What are we going to put off till next week? Now, Into that, the Apostle Paul says there are three essentials, he writes to Timothy, that you need to do to be on mission with Jesus. And uh, these three tennis balls represent these things. We have to squeeze them in to our already full lives. To be on mission with Jesus, we must try to do these first things. So the first tennis ball, I've marked with a G, for guard the gospel. Paul says, the gospel is precious. Timothy, you need to guard it. It represents uh, the Bible. Uh, so the first point is, guard our teaching. Uh, Apostle Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit. That's the gospel, that's the Bible, that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help Of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We don't do this on our own strength. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have Christ as a living Savior. He's resurrected, He gives us the power to do it. Paul told Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to understand the gospel. Interpret the Bible correctly so that we share it to others, and when we do, we don't lead them astray. Paul says about the gospel, all Scripture, that's the Bible, is God-inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, equipped for every good work. He says the Scriptures come from God. They're priceless. So guard it. You must hold a high view of Scripture. A high view of Scripture is that the Bible is inspired by God. It's true from cover to cover. When you lower your view of Scripture to the idea that it's simply a human document, like any other document, so therefore it has lots of errors, it becomes corrupted. And what you teach others can become untrue. We need to guard our reference for God's Word, and guard time to spend with Him every day. It doesn't matter if you have a high view of Scripture if you don't read it. If you don't meditate on it. The most important thing you can do to grow in your faith with Christ is to spend time with God each day. In the Bible. Studying it. Writing down in a, a journal. Our journals work just great for that. Our family tries to go through this together every Saturday night. The most common reason I hear people say, ah, why I can't read the Bible? You know, how, are you reading the Bible? I'm like, nah, I'm too busy. But think about that. If you get to the end of your life, let's say 80 years, you God will have given you 29,000 days and 700,000 hours. Do you think God will be impressed if you tell Him that you could not spend... 15 minutes a day with Him. I find that when I have a busy day, the best thing to do is not to skip my time with God because I say, you know, I'm just too busy for that. I need it all the more because it keeps me focused. It keeps me uh, centered on what really matters. It actually helps me be more kind and compassionate with people. Then again, I think Paul says that we are to guard our lifestyle. You have to guard the way you live. Otherwise, people will look at you and say, why should I believe what you say? Look at the way you're living. If we don't guard our lifestyle, we'll feel guilty and we won't feel like talking to anybody. Paul told Timothy, watch the way you live. He wrote, flee the desires, the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure life. He says, flee from sin. Don't linger with it. How many people do you know that were very effective in serving Christ, and then they got caught up in some immorality, and it destroyed or set back their ministry? That's why we have to watch our lifestyle. The second tennis ball uh, that helps us be on mission with Jesus, I marked with a P, proclaim the gospel. We have to share it. We've received it. Now we tell others about it. How do we proclaim the gospel? Paul suggests in this letter to Timothy three ways. First, we must proclaim it confidently. Paul writes, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. All of us have been given gifts of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Apostle Paul prayed over him. For the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony about our Lord. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel, to, but proclaim it confidently. Paul says, preach the word, be prepared in season. And out of season. The gospel is an urgent message, so we're to proclaim it confidently. Now, this is a problem for most of us. Over the last several decades, Christians have become increasingly less confident in sharing their faith. As our movies, TV shows, government, media, and schools have become increasingly secular, we have tended to withdraw. Since in our cancel culture, we no longer have free speech, but get criticized for practically everything we say, we've learned it's better just to zip it and be quiet. But it isn't supposed to be that way. God placed us in our communities to serve as light. We're the light that helps people find their way out of darkness to life with Christ. So we proclaim Jesus confidently. Then we must proclaim it strategically. Paul tells Timothy, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. To whom do we entrust this priceless gospel? The people of character who can in turn pass it on to others. Now, this doesn't mean we don't take the gospel to everyone, but we, when we take it to people, we're careful to stick with them so that they grow so they can pass it on to still others. Paul says we're not just in the business of making converts, we are making disciples. Making disciples is always strategically more effective than making converts. The Billy Graham Association estimates that 3.2 million people have come to Christ through their ministry. Now, dividing that number by the number of years, uh, they've been in operation 66 years. Uh, That's about 50,000 converts a year. So if they have 50,000 in one year, 100,000 in two, 150 in three. Now, if you take this other method of making disciples, let's say I start and in one year I take one person and I teach them all that I know about reading the Bible, about how to pray, about loving God and loving people, about uh, sharing their faith with other people, about submitting to the Lordship of Christ and obeying him. At the end of that year, we'd have two disciples. But then they would be able to meet with somebody else. At the end of uh, two years, we'd have four disciples. You see how slowly it goes. But in 20 years, do you realize, doubling every year, this method will overtake this method. Now, there's some other things you could do to juice this up a little bit. Rather than me starting by myself, I'm sure I could find other people that are uh, capable of discipling others. So let's say we start with eight. Well, obviously, this number is going to grow a lot faster. And a few years ago, uh, Micah Page talked me into, uh, what, rather than meeting with one person every year, why don't you meet with three, a group of four? He, thinks, he says, that'll be more effective. And so we've been, in the last few years, been doing groups of four. Well, obviously, then it's going to go faster. The other thing I've learned that makes this actually go slower is I've learned doubling never works. You never get everybody in your group to lead another group uh, themselves, and so uh, that would make uh, that group smaller. So there's just a couple things that that I've learned about that. Um, We have discipleship groups in this church. If you would like to be in one, let me know. Um, And parents, remember, your task is to disciple your children. Your job is not just to help your children come to know Christ, but to disciple them on how to... Uh, feed themselves from god's word on their own how to pray and how how to grow so that they in turn can help somebody else grow in their faith and third we must proclaim the gospel sensitively paul told timothy don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments there are some things we waste our time talking about they're just stupid they don't matter Because, you know, they produce quarrels. There's some things that get Christians all fighting with each other. He says, don't do that. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. When you share with other people, don't be quarrelsome. Don't be insensitive. We must share the gospel sensitively, giving people time, giving people space, Has anyone ever been turned off by you sharing the gospel with them? If someone rejects the gospel because they choose to do so, that's on them. But if they reject the gospel because of the way you shared it, that's on you. Finally, the third tennis ball, uh, third priority that Paul suggests, I marked with an S for suffer for the gospel. Now, maybe I chose the wrong word. You say there's only three essentials I'm supposed to do to uh, to have to be on mission with Jesus and one of them you tell me is to suffer? Forget it. The reason I use the word is because Paul uses it so frequently in this final letter to Timothy. It means you will face opposition. It won't be easy. You will be persecuted. You will face obstacles. You need to know about this so you don't give up when you hit a bump in the road. So Paul writes, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me. I mean, Timothy could be ashamed that Paul's in prison, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering. There's one of the times he uses the word. For the gospel by the power of God. Of God. He told Timothy, that is why I am suffering as I am. If you preach, you tell people about Christ, you will face opposition. But does the suffering stop the gospel from going forward? No. Paul says, for which, in fact, every. No, where are we going? I don't think we're on the right spot. But anyway, he says, For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. He said even though he's in prison, he was able to talk to all. He was was chained with a guard 24-7. He was able to tell all the guards about Christ. And the word went out through all the Roman guards. And the gospel spread rapidly. The second law of thermodynamics says the greater the heat, the greater the expansion. The first century, the gospel spread like wildfire. Even though 11 out of the 12 disciples were martyred, they faced huge opposition. The gospel spread rapidly through the Middle East, through the Roman Empire, through Africa, and all the way to Asia, to China. Paul says, if you're going to be on mission for me, you will face some suffering. Paul says you have to suffer the rigors of self-discipline. He gives three examples. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. My son Mark served in the military. He, said, he served two tours in Afghanistan. And he said, Father, Dad, if we hadn't stayed disciplined, we would have gotten killed. Then he uses the example of an athlete. Uh, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. One of the basics of athletics is hard work and training. Then his final example is of the farmer. No farmer goes out and spreads seed and then you know, goes off and saunters back in three months expecting to find a, a, a big harvest. They have to stay with it. Weed it and fertilize it and till it and, um, you know, water it. Why do we deceive ourselves into thinking that serving Christ, helping to how other people come to know Christ will be easy? So when we face opposition and people don't receive our message right away and the work gets hard, we give up. That's why Paul wants you to know up front there will be suffering. There's not going to be an easy deal. If we're to do as Paul bids us in this letter and be on mission with Jesus, we must guard the gospel. It's priceless. Guard the Bible. Guard the message. We need to proclaim the message. We need to tell other people. And we also must suffer for the gospel. The gospel is, has never been popular. There will be obstacles as we try to pass on the good news. So if I ask you, do you feel like you're on mission with Jesus how would you answer me? Yes or no? Have you passed the gospel on to anyone else in the last 12 months? And if you have, have you stayed with them so that they grow in Christ, so that they are able to pass it on to still still others? Suppose one of the ways our church decided to fund this ministry was by establishing a manufacturing plant. So we take our sandy property and decide to put a man, you know, rather than sell it, we'll put a manufacturing plant that we're going to sell shoes. Um, We're going to go into competition with Nike. So I go out there and check with the manager. How's it going? How many shoes have we uh, made? He says, none. I said, what? How long have we been in operation? He said, two years. I said, two years and we haven't made any shoes? Are you kidding me? He says, oh, don't worry. We've got the best people hired. We're paying them well. They're working hard. Some are doing double shifts. I said, what does that matter if we haven't made anything? Our task is to make disciples. Are we reproducing ourselves? Paul entrusted Timothy with the task of passing the gospel on to the next generation. Are we on mission with Jesus? God has determined the number of hours in our lives. We all have only 24. How do we squeeze in these other priorities that Paul says are essential? If you're waiting until your life gets easier to get uh, get these priorities in your life, it'll never happen. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus' forecast is trouble today and trouble tomorrow. If you're waiting for your life to get simpler, less busy, less troubles before you are on mission with Jesus, you'll never get there. So why not try this? Take all the things in your life, and dump them out. And you say, well, all right, every day I'm going to dump them out. Let's clean it out thoroughly. You know, I'm going to put food back in here for jewelry after church. Should I, should I wash it first? All right. And now we're going to put our priorities in that Paul says we have to do to be on mission with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to do it, but if we put the sand back in here, do you know that we could get it almost, I've never tried it in practice, but I bet it would practically all fit. We can do other things, but we've got our priorities in there first. Remember, you are on mission with Jesus. You are to guard the gospel You are to proclaim the gospel, and you will have to suffer for gospel. And if you've never done so, the most important thing you can do is to first give your life to Christ. And you can do that right now as we pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter that Paul sends, his final one. He sends it to Timothy on how to be on mission with Jesus, how to be a minister for Christ in this world. And we want to do that. If you want to do that right now, would you just pray and tell God you want to be on mission with Him? You don't want to be doing all these busy things and maybe doing nothing that really matters. Nothing that's making a difference in people's lives. Tell Him you want to be a minister for Him this week and the rest of your life. And you're going to put the priorities guarding the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and being willing to suffer for it first in your life. And if you never done so. Invite Jesus into your life to become your Lord and tell him you want to then be on mission with him. You pray. Thank you God for preserving this little book in your word. Paul's final letter to Timothy and we want to be on mission with you in Jesus name we pray